Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're speaking with Nama Bonea Garali, who left a 20-year career as a neuroimaging researcher at Stanford University to found Girl Intelligence, an app for girls to advise, support, and inspire each other. Both Nama's story and the mission behind her female empowerment and connection app, Girl Intelligence, is one that we're really excited to share. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Nama. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. It's so nice to meet you. Beautiful. And you are calling in from where? From uh, Menlo Park, California. Oh, beautiful. So you have an interesting story. You're probably, wow, the most, I would say, (laughs) well-educated person we've had on the podcast so far. Yeah. (laughs) I I read through your LinkedIn bio and was like blown away. Um, Wow. (laughs) I was was in school for a very, very long time. (laughs) And not just any school. The top school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, do you want to tell us about your your life and your upbringing and how you ended up at Stanford University as um, a researcher? Yeah, of course. Um, so, I am from Israel. I grew up in Israel, mm. and I, you know, gradually, as everybody does, almost in Israel, I graduated from high school and I went to the military for two years because that's oh, uh, mandatory military service. What do you actually do in mandatory military service? So you you basically have to go to the military. <laughs> so yeah. it's not a, it's not a choice. You you have to go. Every single Everybody human does. being, every single human being has to go into military. Well, unless you have some kind of a you know some kind of a medical condition mm. or you know yeah if you you know there are all kinds of exemptions like that. Mm. Um, wow! But what a concept. Yes. So are you like doing like yeah. combat training and and stuff like that or? What does that look like? I did basic training, so that was a little bit, you know, <laughs> yeah, we, we learned how to, you know, use a, a gun and everything like that. But after that, uh, I just had a basically an office job. So okay. I was yeah. like in charge of um, manpower management of um, battalion and a special squad. So that's what I did for two years. And they called it manpower, and even though everyone is going into the military. <laughs> well... Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. But <laughs> my the thing is that at the time, um, there were only men doing combat roles. This okay. has changed that since front line. then. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But it is true that all of my soldiers were men because they were all combat soldiers, mm-hmm. and at the time, that was not an option for women. So huh. it's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's correct in that sense, but huh. <laughs> oh, wow, it has crazy. it has changed since then. So, what is it like growing up, you know, as a young girl, knowing that you're going to go into the military one day and you have to? Yeah. So, I th- I think it's really interesting to think about that, having lived here for a while, and I realizing that that's not the norm. Yeah. But growing up in Israel, it's like 
you know, this is, it's like, it's normal. Like you don't even think about it. My parents were in the military. Um, my dad fought in three wars. Yeah. Wow. I actually remember him going to war when I was very young. Wow. Oh and, you know, so, and my mom was in the military too. It's not like, you know, so it's something everybody does. It's something you see, you know, you see soldiers on the street all the time. It's your neighbors. It's your, you know, your relative so it's not it's just it's like you know that you know here you know you graduate and you know you go to university if you choose to and um in israel you graduate from high school and you go to the military it's just this you don't even really stop to think about it yeah yeah from an outside <laughs> it's just part perspective, of life it's just so crazy to me that you would send 18 year olds into the military like now like looking back like that's such a kind of young age to do it oh. i know like it's such a formative age yeah and then and then you what so you do two years and then you can go study at university afterwards yes yeah mm-hmm. so okay so yeah. then you did you did like your more like clerical <laughs> work and then t- the two years mm-hmm. was up and you were able to leave did you consider yes. staying or could you kind of not wait to go off and do your own thing? No, I, I could not wait <laughs> to leave. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I did not really enjoy my military service. And I was really, you know, I always loved studying, as you could tell like, by my CV. Mm. And I could, couldn't wait to go back to, to, to go into university and back to a study environment. So, mm-hmm. and I was always interested in science um, ever since I can remember you know, we used to do these science experiments at home, um, you know, with like, I don't know, leaves and stuff. I remember yeah. Yeah. Uh, my mom uh, was a teacher. I mean, she uh, she's retired now, but she was a biology teacher. So um, I just always loved uh, science and I always loved working with people. So, yeah. And I was a really, you know, I, really, I was a good student. <laughs> so right. um, the natural choice was kind of like, you know, going to medical school, it just seems like something that is really worthwhile and that right. I really wanted to do. Yeah. So, yeah, so I applied to to medical school. There are four universities, four medical schools in the country. <laughs> so it's a small country. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my dream was to go to Jerusalem and study there. And, you know, I was accepted and I was thrilled. And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in med school. <laughs> what is Jerusalem like? Can you just tell me? It's one of the places in the world I haven't been that I'm like, mm. I want to go. <laughs> yes, you should go. Um, Jerusalem is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's just it's a, such a, it, it's such an interesting place. Like it's not all good, obviously, because <laughs> there's a lot of, um, a lot of extremes in Jerusalem. Okay. But it's just the, the um, you know, you have the ultra-religious and the secular Jews, and then you have the Palestinians, and it's just, um, and the history everywhere you go. Mm. It's just so rich in history, and it's so beautiful. Um, I was also a tour guide there, actually, um, when I was in med school, so I really got to learn the history and, uh, you know, meet people who just come in for a few days and really tour all those places that have limited access and things like that. So I was really, I just really enjoyed living there. Um, It's also a very international place, you know, so the restaurants and, you know, the activities and everything that you can do there. Jerusalem has changed um, over the years. Um, My parents actually went to the 
in you know Hebrew University in Jerusalem as well. That is where they met. That is where I met my husband. So um, we have a long history. Oh, and um, and they said they always said that the you know the. Jerusalem has changed a lot um, from the time they were there and the time I was there. And it just seems like it changed a lot ever since yeah. um, as well. Yeah. It's very, very, I highly recommend visiting. It's just beautiful and so interesting. So what do you think that being exposed to all these different cultures, you know, going to medical school in a, a city like this did for you? Like, how did it change your perspective or your goals or like your possibilities of the world? Yeah, um, it was definitely um, a transformative experience because I grew up in a largely in a city up north, which is largely secular and um, uh, pretty liberal. Mm-hmm. And Jerusalem is just very, it's just very everything. <laughs> it's just yeah. very intense. Yeah. And I got to meet, um, you know, my in my patients, I got to meet people who are you know, who didn't even speak Hebrew, which is the national, you know, language, because they're not the ultra, I don't this is a whole different topic, but uh, people who are very, very religious in Israel are actually against Zionism because Zionism is um, the right of um, the Jews to live in Israel. And they think that everything should come from God and we shouldn't take any action. Okay. So, so if um, people moved to, Israel and built a country, then that is people taking fate into their own hands, something like that. So basically they gotcha. live in Israel, but they don't speak Hebrew and they're basically against the country that they live in. Right. That's <laughs> gotcha. interesting. There is this there is this group of people. But anyway, they still need medical care. So you you know, they live in your country. They live actually, you know, like maybe a mile away from where I lived, but they don't speak my language. Mm-hmm. They speak Yiddish, which isn't you know, which is the language that people used to speak in Europe. Huh. Um, the combination of Hebrew and German, it's a, it's a, it's a dead language. It's a language nobody speaks anymore except for them. Yeah. So, uh, is that why there's so many similarities between um, like Jewish words and German? Because I've noticed that um, growing up that there was sometimes like, like shul, for example, is similar to the German yeah. schule, which means school. Um, and I've yes. just noticed a lot of kind of similarities like that and always wondered what the link was there with the German language. Sylvie's mum speaks like seven languages. So yeah. you, you should, you should <laughs> know. Oh, wow. So she can draw these conclusions pretty that quickly. Is, <laughs> yeah, that is exactly why. It's just, the whole history is just fascinating. So, wow. Crazy. Yeah, my grandma used to speak Yiddish, so I know yeah. quite a bit. A little bit, but yeah. So how did you end up at Stanford? Yes. So, um, so I, so like I said, I met my husband in medical school. Um, and he is one of those people who learned how to code since he was like born. Uh, Ah, yeah. Those guys. So those guys. Um, so he (laughs) like self-taught, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so he, after internship, um, he decided, like, he was kind of conflicted about medicine because it was like he's a very creative guy and he likes building things from scratch. And in medicine, you kind of follow protocols yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, you know, he was very good at it, but he was like, I, you know, he was, he, he kept working throughout medical school and then he kind of realized that this thing that he does on the side is actually a pretty good profession. <laughs> 
Yeah. So um, he got a job here in California. And I had my residency. I got accepted to residency in Israel. So for six, and we just got married. So for six months, uh, he was here in California and kind of figuring out if this is something he wants to do yeah. um, long term. And I was doing my residency in Israel. A residency, is and, that like a medical yeah, thing? Medical yeah, medical yeah. residency. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so you do medical school and then you do, in, it's, a long, it's a long process. You do medical yeah. school and then you do uh, an internship for one year, which is clinical work. And then you specialize, that's residency. Okay. And then after residency, you can sub-specialize and do a fellowship, which I did at Stanford. So, oh, okay. um, so I was, uh, so for six months, this was going on. And then he was like, you know, I kind of want to, you know, I want to keep doing this. So it was, it's actually a funny story. Like nobody gets into Stanford the way I did, I think. <laughs> um, so I was looking, I was, I, I didn't know California very well. And I was looking what kind of universities are, you know, in the area. Right. <laughs> so Stanford University is right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's in, right in the middle of the Silicon Valley. Mm. So I found Stanford and I actually called my friend who is from the U.S., who we shared dorms in the in Jerusalem. And I was like, is Stanford a good university? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, um, it's the and best she's like, one. <laughs> and she's like, is that like a joke? Is there a punchline somewhere in there? She's like, what are you saying? <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, I kind of thinking, you know, they have psychiatry, you know, maybe I can go do my residency there, mm. you know, continue and do a fellowship or whatever. And she's like, um, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. You, you should definitely try. My boss at my residency um, knew the director of the Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Clinic mm -hmm. at Stanford. Yeah. And he was like, oh, you should go meet him. Um, but I didn't have an appointment. So I, I literally walked into the reception desk. I think it was almost my last day when I, I was visiting my husband mm -hmm. for like on a break. And I walked up to the reception desk and I asked if he was available. And the receptionist was like, well, actually, he just had a cancellation. So you can just walk in. Wow. Well, I introduced myself. <laughs> That's the universe. I, oh said, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm an MD. I'm a psychiatry resident in Israel. Blah, blah. Yeah. So wow. I, then I, you know, I met with him and he was like, you know, maybe he's like, you can't do a clinical fellowship here because it takes a year to be certified by the state of California, but you could do research. And I was like, research, really? I don't know if I want to do that. Mm. Um, and then, you know, he took me up to the lab and he showed me what they're doing. And I was like, huh, that looks kind of interesting. So I applied. Um, yeah, and that's how I got to, I started to do research and I really, really, really loved it. I actually oh. did not expect to like it because yeah. I thought I want, I was really, really into clinical work. I really wanted to do, um, I didn't think of anything other than clinical work. Yeah. Um, but research is where you make progress, right? That's where you discover new things. Mm -hmm. So once I started doing that, I really, really loved it. And you were looking into um, like autism and neurogenetic disorders, diabetes, depression and bipolar disorder, which are such interesting topics. And um, that must have been, a, that, you did that for, was it 10 years? So I did that for 15 years. Wow. But in there was also the clinical training. Yeah. So I did I did get certified by the state of California to do the clinical training, which is a long process if you're a foreign medical graduate. But um, and so I did the um, child and adolescent psychiatry mm. fellowship at Stanford. That was part was clinical. Most of my time at Stanford, I did brain research. Yeah. So 
So yeah, the type of research I did was, neuro, it's called neuroimaging, and mm -hmm. it uses uh, MRI to look at the brain. Um, you know, it's a non-invasive imaging modality that you can learn so much about brain structure and function mm. um, with MRI. And the particular method, method I used is called diffusion tensor imaging, or DTI for short. Mm -hmm. And what it does, it looks mostly at white matter structure. So white matter in the brain are the cables of the brain, so kind of like electrical wires mm -hmm. um, that transfer all the data and signals in the brain. So it's very, very important um, for brain function, obviously. And I looked at how it's structured um, throughout development and in certain conditions and disorders. Oh my god, and, this um, is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm I a bit really, yeah. <laughs> We're sitting there like, wow. <laughs> it was marketing. really, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting and also really beautiful to look at. It's like, mm. I always said that I'm really lucky because I get to look at beautiful pictures mm. all day because it's really is the DTI if you I can send you some pictures I highly encourage your listeners to google it DTI has the most beautiful uh images uh, when you display the results it's yeah. uh, it looks like you could those I don't you've probably seen them the images of the different colors and you can see all the all the wires in the brain that's wow. DTI that's how you generate these images oh my gosh that's um, so cool Oh wow! So does it? So you're here to tell to tell us about Girl Intelligence, which is your app yes. for girls. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And we're, I'm so excited to hear about that. I'm just wondering, did any of this research start to inspire Girl Intelligence, like or, back then? Yeah. Or, or did you ever see yourself doing an app, or were you kind of you know in in this for the long haul with research and clinical work? Yeah. So. I never thought I would create an app, actually, but I've always loved, you know, doing creative things and designing things, even though that wasn't my thing. And my mm -hmm. husband was like, you know, why don't you try to do something like that? Because you really enjoy it. And I was like, no, you know, I'm doing this research thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the, I mean, definitely everything you do in life affects everything else like right. I don't think knowledge is ever lost right it always inspires and influences what you do next mm -hmm. yeah um so one of the grants that I wrote um at Stanford was uh, looking at um brain structure and function in girls with autism mm -hmm. gotcha. and that made me really really interested but I was, I've always been interested in gender differences and similarities and um, gender equality and um, how women socialize. All these topics have always been really fascinating to me. Yes, yeah. Um, and I kind of went down a rabbit hole researching for this grant, uh, thinking about how women socialize and how um, the mental health of women and how we can make it better mm, yeah. um, and how we can empower women yeah. to, um, you know, live healthier, happier lives and fulfill their potential, which is, you know, tied with gender equality. Right. Um, so I was just really, really fascinated by all these topics. Right. Um, and at the same time, 
um, in my career, I kind of got to a point where I needed to decide if, um, if I was going to start my own lab, because I was in a bigger lab. I had my own projects, but, and I had my own grants. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, there comes a times in your career that you have to decide, okay, am I leaving and, like, building my own thing? Right. Um, or do I do something else entirely? Like, do I, yeah, like, because right. it was kind of like the last chance. Because mm-hmm. once you start, you get a faculty position. Um, so I was an instructor at Stanford. Um, once you start your own lab, that's it. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not it, but you, it's really hard to leave that. You have people working for yeah. you. You have You're grants employing after people. grants. Yeah. Yeah. It's career-defining. Yeah. Kind of. right, right. God, this is so relatable. So many women that we've spoken to kind of reach this point where they, you know, they've got a big decision to make. Like, yeah. do you stay mm-hmm. on the trajectory you're on? You're successful. It's all you've ever known. Or do you take a risk yeah. and, and do something completely different but that is, is inspiring and passionate? And so, yeah, how, how did you feel making that decision? I mean, it was very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't sleep for like three months, I think. Oh. Um, it was very, very difficult. Well, I mean, I don't think, so a lot of times in those, like in interviews that I hear, mm. people say, oh, so it was time for me to make that decision and it just did. I don't think that ever happens this way. Mm. I think people are just glossing over what actually happened. So yeah. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, there's always something, because if there's not, if you don't get a kick in the butt, Mm. then you don't usually leave the path you're on, especially if you worked, how many years was that? Like 20 years to get where you are. Um, So I was growing more and more frustrated with academia. Um, I think I loved the work that has never, never changed. I just absolutely loved the work that I was doing. The environment in academia, not just at Stanford, all my friends share this experience no matter where they're at, um, is can be really suffocating, especially for women. It's very antiquated. It's like, mm, it's, um, really? it's everything you want to do, you need to get permission, mm, like right. until you die, like that never ends. <laughs> and the permission until you die, <laughs> until you die. <laughs> so until you retire, right. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and it is um, so the, the the permission get you you get from you know the NIH or foundations. It's usually a white an old white male committee. At Stanford, and is it still like that today? Is it still? It's not Stanford. It's oh sorry. Um, the funding doesn't come from Stanford, for the most part. I did get funding from Stanford, but you, you get little grants right. from your institution. But okay. the large grants they don't usually come from your institution. They come from um, the NIH or um, or big foundations like that. Okay. Um, big fo- the, the foundations are private. Um, NIH and similar um, are you know federal organizations. So yeah, those are the big big grants. Um, it takes forever yeah. to get permission if you do. Uh-huh. Um, it takes you know for, you, you need to come up with the idea, get preliminary data, analyze the data, write the grant takes eight months to get the first decision and then another eight months to get the second. So it's, it's years until you can do something. So you were trying, you had to, you were getting frustrated with academia and you were having to get permission for everything. So you always have to, we, we would always joke about that. We're like, oh, you know, the white, the old white male committee. I just submitted my grant to the old white male committee. I mean, there are women on the committees, but usually for the, predominantly um, it is, it is harder 
to get uh, funding as a woman. Um, I did get um, also harder to get published as a woman. It's like, it was kind of like, I kind of got really, and I, I did get grants and I did get published, um, but it was frustrating for sure. Did you just feel like you were held to like a, a more rigorous level of scrutiny or they didn't understand some of the topics that you wanted to research or what was it? Like what made it harder? Could you put your finger on it? Yeah. Like, honestly, I actually didn't want to believe it at the time. But now I think um, I think that the patriarchy is just threatened by women like you know we come in and we take their spots it's not their spots but they think they are you know in the good old yeah it's like you know in the past it was you know a hundred percent or close to a hundred percent uh white men right and they see all these you know young people coming in with their ideas that are different right because Mm. we come from a different with a different perspective right? and, um, and it's threatening. And I, right. I, I really think that that's like, I didn't think that to begin with. I thought that they just think I'm not like, we are not good enough. Mm. Like we, but, but now I really think that maybe they think we are too good, you know? Mm. Right. Yeah. I always wonder about that. Like when you <laughs> hear about the trends of women being spoken down to in so many different industries, it's like, or kind of, scrutinized or pushed out or you know whatever it is it's like are you Mm -hmm. not creating a more flexible workplace for mothers for example because you're scared of like the competition rising up and outperforming you Mm. (laughs) you know yeah yeah the the wall street journal writer that just criticized dr Mm -hmm. jill biden for using her doctor title Mm -hmm. because she's a doctor in education and not a doctor in medical things and he thinks that she shouldn't be able to use her doctor title and called her kiddo in the article and oh really was disparaging goodness. and people have reacted so you know powerfully towards this they're like this is another example of misogyny and someone who's threatened by her status and her intelligence and wants to put her in her place through an article right op- an op- yeah piece. it's mm. yeah I've been we've been uh very vocal about that on Instagram for the past 24 <laughs> hours. Um, it's amazing because it was so condescending and so misogenic and there's no way he would have ever written anything like that on a man no. with her exact PhD yeah. um, degree. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, I, I feel like that we're in this really weird place, like this real pivotal point where you know, half the guys I know get it and they're mm-hmm. like, ooh, like, you know, and then the other half are just so like clueless still. And it's like, you guys, what do we have to do? Mm. What do we have to say? What do we have to do to get you to respect women equally? Mm. What do we have to do? <laughs> the dinosaurs yeah. need to die and it out. Is- <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> is dying off really um- the only solution? <laughs> I mean, come on. I know. Oh. Anyway, yes. So you know how they say um, uh, this organization did an analysis about when we're going to reach gender equality, mm-hmm. um, and their analysis showed that we, at the rate we're going, it's going to be two hundred and eight years. Huh? Why? Why? It's insane. Oh my gosh! Because well, um, it's all like passed down through generations, and like people are like yeah. young men and women are still seeing that from their parents, and it's like phased out over a slower period of time. 
What is that island of women warriors where they used to like cut off one boob, ride around on horses, and then like shoot people with bows and arrows? What is that? We could just recreate like that. The Amazons? <laughs> I don't it's, know. Like, it's like a mythological <laughs> mythological island. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google I kinda it. don't want to do that. Do we have to do that? <laughs> do we have to do that? Is that what we have to do? I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. So after that. So after years of that, I've actually um, started interviewing, not interviewing, having these conversations with very few women above me in the department. Yes. And and then I saw that. And I also had the, the opportunity to talk. I don't know what I'm, I don't want to mention her name because I don't know if she wants to be mentioned, but she's a very prominent professor in the field. And yeah. I was always fangirling her because <laughs> she's like amazing. And I met her at this conference and you know, just started talking and she's, she's probably 60 something. Uh-huh. And she told me that it's so, so hard for her to get funding. I was like, what? Like you, you can't get funding. <laughs> and she's like, well, because she's so threatening to her colleagues. Like she cannot get peer reviewed because all the grants are peer reviewed. Right. Um, so, so she can only get funding from private foundations. And I've talked with all these women and everyone had a horrible story. <laughs> mm. um, and I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to be, I want to be more independent. I don't want to ask for permission. Yeah. Um, and I want to be more creative. And also another thing that I really wanted to do was um, have more, imp- I know this, this will sound maybe it won't make much sense, but I wanted to have more impact because mm. in academia, um, the work is really, really interesting and you discover all these amazing things. But at the end of the day, after doing this for 15 years, mm. um, I haven't changed anything for a single patient with yeah. my research. Right. So you decided this isn't mm-hmm. for me anymore. I want more independence. I want to make more of an impact. So how did the idea for Girl Intelligence come about? And it was actually previously called Tell, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, so, oh, wait, I was saying before I was interrupted and now I have these, all these. You were talking. So wait, you were uh, talking. I think you had a storyline going. Yeah, I you had. Storyline going. You had um, um, the woman who was 60. Oh, with the, ac- the academia, yeah. the impact. Yes. Um, yeah. Let's see how you can edit this. Like, where can I keep going? <laughs> Thanks, James. Um, <laughs> we wanted to have more impact. And then. So, so, so in academia, so I, you do all this work and yes. you never know what the long-term implications of that would be for patients, if at all. Like, you just don't know. Like, you go where the research takes you, right? Like, you go where you don't know what the results is gonna, are going to, you know, are going to end up being, right? Right. So after 15 years, and I have discovered things that um, that were brand new. Like, I was the first to discover white matter um, alterations in autism. Yes. Um, so th- this was like, you know, really, really interesting. But does it have an impact on any child or any person with autism? You know, mm. it doesn't. And that's not anyone's fault. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to have um, a tangible impact on people, like in real life. <laughs> so Yeah, right. Um, and I kind of felt like academia is not necessarily going to get me there. Right. So, and so I kind of asked myself at 40 (laughs) (laughs) what 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 do I want to do when I grow up like you know what do I want to do right um and just 
I've, I, I knew I wanted to build something that is for women, for young women, um, something that would be about women empowerment. Um, and I ended up with this idea. So it was called, so let's start with from the beginning. Um, so Gertelligence is an, is, it is an empowerment app for teens and young women. Yes. Um, we're starting with building a community. This uh-huh. is what we have right now. Yes. Um, and it's a place that is designed to be a safe space for girls and young women to talk about anything mm-hmm. and support each other that. and empower each other. So there's no, we built it in a way that there is no bullying or, yeah. um, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all about being the big sister that you always wanted. Yes. Um, or having the big sister that you've always wanted. Yeah. Um, they can be anonymous or they can be not anonymous and be known for a lot of um, our users just really want to be there for other girls, like for girls who yeah. are younger than them. So they can advise them. And for that, they want to be known. They do put down their names and they want to be known for their advice. Yeah. Um, but if they want to maybe ask about something that's more personal, that they don't want to be attached to them because they want to be anonymous, they can. Yeah. So every time they can go back and switch between their identities, you know, and be themselves or be someone that nobody can um, know who they are. Yes. And they can just have a safe space to talk about anything. And they, and they, and they do. They talk about absolutely anything. And uh, it is also tailored by age because obviously the conversations that the 13, 14-year-olds are having – yeah. are not the same, uh, are not interesting to the 19-year-olds, and more importantly, the conversations that the 19, 20-year-olds shouldn't be visible to the 13, 14-year-olds. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is it is tailored by age, um, and it's just wonderful to see the community grow and the conversations that they're having there. Because girls, um, as you probably remember mm. um, or know, uh, they will listen much more to their peers than they would to their parents. Yes, um, that's true. <laughs> so and also it's just different because um their generation is very different from how we grew up and yeah. um it just changes very very rapidly and girls who are there with them you know just a couple years older um can give advice that we can't like we just don't yeah. remember or we just haven't experienced that at all mm. we don't so, know we don't know it's yeah. the world was different when we were young I love yeah. this idea so much yes. I love how it provides support and you know people can ask in a safe space and, and not yeah. feel judged I mean one of the things I was kind of wondering is like so you mentioned there that the, there's a kind of you know separated age groups but could a 13 year old ask say like a 16 year old for advice and reach out to someone absolutely. who is a bit older is how does that kind of work? Yes. Yeah, that is absolutely, um, you know, one of the central goals of this app is mm-hmm. that you can reach out to girls who are older than you. Mm-hmm. So it is tailored by age. Um, but you can, you can, so we had an, a really interesting um, situation where a 12 year old, I believe, no, she was 13 because right. We were 13 and up. Um, she was talking about abuse that she had. Oh. And she knew, like, we would have, we would have changed the age if she didn't get it correctly, you know. But mm-hmm. she actually did know that she wanted the advice of the older girls who can help her, like the yeah. college students. Yeah. And she actually did know that she doesn't want the girls her age to see this. Right. Yeah. 
So she chose the age range of, I think, college and up. Yeah. Um, and she just wanted their advice, how to tell her parents. Yeah. This was really something she couldn't have asked anyone else. Mm. Um, but she also knew that, you know, a, a different 13-year-old who wasn't, uh, you know, who didn't share her experience probably shouldn't S- see um, the material. See this. Yeah. So. Oh, that's so sad. That's so uh, amazing, though, that you've got this space where she was able to get that advice. Uh, uh, Do you ever see conversations where you think, oh, actually, that's really bad advice? Like, that's not something that the girls should be advising a younger younger one. And do you ever step in and moderate that? Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So right now, everything is moderated. Mm -hmm. So everything is pre-screened. For the younger girls, it's always going to be this way. Yes. Um, for the older girls, we are developing uh, AI that would cover most of it and reporting system and a, a um, credibility system, which we call Girl Karma, that kind of lets you have less sc- um, pre-screening. Mm. We have a whole system <laughs> that's very complex, but um, but it's all the goal is to keep the community safe and also um, to make sure that the situations are something the girls can help with. Because if someone is going through a crisis right now, mm. um, the other girls won't be able to, they're just not equipped to right. help. And they don't okay. have the training or the resources. Or also not, they're also not on it. Like, well, we do have, because of the different time zones, we do have girls on it 24-7. But that is not, the the role is to give advice that they are um, equipped to deal with. So yeah. when, before before anyone posts, um, they have to say that this is not a crisis. And if it is a crisis, we give them all the resources. Um, there are startups that that's all they do, mm-hmm. right? Uh, support online. They have trained personnel um, that are equipped to deal with crises. So we give them all the resources that they need um, to to get help with a crisis. Yeah. yeah. And we have way, also ways to, de- even if they bypass that because, of course, they can. They can say it's not a crisis, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have uh, ways to detect that and automatically not post whatever it is um, and give them the resources that they need. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would see, like, there's several levels of, um, you know, different types of concerns that these girls have from, you know, a boy just broke up with me because he likes my best friend all the way, you know, how do mm-hmm. I deal with this emotionally? All the way to, yeah. you know, something really terrible is happening to me and I don't know how to mm-hmm. tell my parents or I don't know how to protect myself, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, yes. that that would be have to be quite an intricate system that you've designed mm-hmm. to, to properly handle all levels of concern. Yeah. So a lot of them, if it's not an active crisis, crisis mm-hmm. uh, the older girls a lot of times can advise. Yeah. Like they can help a lot. Like one of the things that we get the most is how to tell the parents yeah. about situations. We also They also create, there's a section called Girl Wisdom mm-hmm. uh, where they create content that they think girls would be would be helpful to other girls. And one of the sections there is how to help a friend. Because yeah. a lot of times all the topics come from them. We, ha- we actually have a leadership team of yeah. 35 um, girls and young women mm-hmm. who help us with everything <laughs> just wow. tell us That's what they need what they want you know uh, uh, you know they really guide us um yeah. on what to develop next everything like that um yeah so 
so they created some topics on how to help a friend, a friend because a lot of times, most of the times, I would say, the friends are the first to know if anything's going on. Yeah. The parents might not know um, that something is going on. They may see that their daughter is behaving a little bit differently, but you, they won't necessarily, you know, you don't... <laughs> Most people just don't can't tell, uh, yeah. and the, the friends will will be the first ones to know. So, how do you help your friend tell, find a um, trusted adult to that can help her out? So, mm. those are the heavy things um, in the app. We also have all kinds of topics from you know which show should I watch next, or yeah. you know share your favorite you know um, no makeup makeup yeah, <laughs> yeah products right, right, right. or um like everything goes um yeah it's just really some of them are heavy and some of them are really light uh, but that's a place where they can go and just have conversations um yeah and how did you find your first users for this um you, you mentioned you've got this team of 35 like leadership girls mm-hmm. where did you get them how how do you incentivize them to be a part of this app yeah so our first users were uh, daughters or friends and mm-hmm. um, yeah. parents that I yeah. know or people have been so so incredibly helpful so I go you know when I go to networking events I talk about intelligence and people are like oh my daughter would love this or my cousin would love this or I have a niece and you know people have been incredibly helpful so before COVID I would go and meet with them they would be like you know my daughter will get a group of friends and uh, you can meet with them. Mm. So I would bring cupcakes and like stickers and stuff. And we would just talk about their lives and what they need and what they want and what they don't want and everything. The color. That's how we started. Yeah. Those were our first users where people, from, I, I give talks at schools. Um, I give all kinds of presentations. So people just find us that way. Um, right. Mm. And then, we launched the beta, we're still in beta, but we launched the beta in January 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once COVID hit, that's when I started recruiting my leadership team. And the leadership team, they are just girls who are really passionate about this and really passionate about our mission. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a great extracurricular activity to put on your resume when you're applying to college. Yeah. Um, and um, especially if they, because they're so involved and a lot of them um, really are leaders and they are um, come up with their ideas and they make a difference and they lead initiatives in the app. Um, so that's just a great thing to write about. It also gives you something to write about. In your, I, yeah. I don't know if you're, well, one of you at least is aware of the college application process and how demanding it is in the US. It's not like that elsewhere, but it's here. You have this whole, you know, you have a, a, a whole section of extracurricular. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a bunch of essays. And <laughs> and um, the extracurricular activities can make or break your application. So that's um, a wonderful extracurricular activity to have. Um, and, and they also get all of our merch for free. 
So oh, that's beautiful. an incentive as well. <laughs> so you gave perks and you had like a whole program and that's really great. Mm-hmm. For this is really smart. Yeah. Like it's quite like when you're thinking of like how to make an app, like you've got your persona down, you know exactly what their motivations are. You know how to get people on. And like, even if you're not doing an app for girls, if like people are listening and thinking of how they're going to create an app, mm-hmm. how to get users, it's all about identifying what, the drivers are behind people and why they want to do something. I think that's a really great takeaway from from your experience of the better. She's Amazing. also got decades yeah. of scientific and psychological research. Yeah. It does help, yes. We also have college students, not just high school students. Uh-huh. Um, at the beginning I was like, well why would a college student want to do this because they don't have, you know, the college application process hanging over their heads. Um, but our college students are they're very passionate about this, uh, the mission. Um, a lot of the, quite a few of them are uh, studying psychology and they just, it's just a great place to be because you basically get your therapy patients. It's not therapy. It's not supposed to be therapy. It's not supposed to sound like therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get to, it's like the easiest way to help people. It's like, you don't have to, you know, mm. find the people who need you. The people who need you are there. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, um, yeah, just help them that way. So you mentioned that your husband was a coder, a programmer. So did you yes. build the app together, or have you hired what? him? Yes. Yeah. Or did he did he like make the cut? Or <laughs> so my husband is, you know, I think the best programmer in the Silicon Valley. In my mind, he's very very good. <laughs> I could have I could have never hired anyone. Um, like him otherwise so yeah uh yeah so when I was brainstorming about what to do he was like for the thousandth time let's build something together oh (laughs) that's so good what a good team you know it's so it's so romantic you know yeah 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 that's brilliant so yeah um so what are your what are your aims for the app in the next year and beyond yeah so we are still developing the app and um, we have, it's up and running. We have um, many users and it's, uh, but we have a lot of things planned for the app. Um, so my goal is, my, my big goal is uh, for it to be the place where girls, you know, high schoolers, college girls, college women and young adults, they, the first thing that they think of when they just want to talk and have that girl tribe kind of girl talk conversation Mm. and also access resources that would help them in whatever it is. Um, It's the app that I wanted. uh, I wish I had when I was growing up when, you know, apps didn't even exist, but (laughs) Mm. um, I think like one of the things that I've always struggled with is that whatever it is that we are going through as women there are a thousand other women, at least, if not more, that are going through the exact same, exact same thing. Mm, Only you yes. don't have any way to access them and brainstorm yes. or even learn from their experiences. Mm. Um, so I want Girl Intelligence to be the app for that, just yeah. that you can get all the resources. And the big, big goal is um, I think that will improve the mental health of girls and women and also help us reach gender equality faster. If we yes. have that community support and, and the resources that we can trust. It's amazing. We, yeah, we've talked in the past 
<laughs> that it's it's beautiful. I mean, we've talked a bit in the past with other guests about the um the culture of competition amongst women mm. Mm. and mm-hmm. how, you know, different societal cues exist that make us want to compete with each other and kind of this whole like kind of patriarchal view of um, attention, like getting attention from men and, you know, whatever. It kind of pits, has pit, pitted women against each other for a very long time. But I yes. love the idea, you know, when you go back to these books, these like sapiens type books and things like that, and you know way more about this than I do. So I am not going to embarrass myself by trying <laughs> to be the expert in this. But, um, you know, tribal women, um, you know, mm-hmm. in caveman days or whatever it was, helping each other raise children and nursing each other's children and living together in these like groups. Um, it kind of goes this, this like patriarchal approach to making women compete with each other kind of goes against our very nature. Mm. Right. And it's like what you're doing for girls at a young age in its simplest form is giving them back that community mm-hmm. that they crave, that they need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Am I wrong? Yeah, so I, don't I actually know. <laughs> have a no. Absolutely, no. It's absolutely right. Um, I actually give a talk about this. Really, one of my talks is about yeah. It's about female competition mm-hmm. uh, and female friendship, and yes. um, and it goes back to the cave. <laughs> right. Um, take us back it, to it the just cave does because <laughs> take us back to the, like thank goodness no, we're take not us in back the cave. cave. <laughs> just don't. I don't want to go back. <laughs> But it really helps. Like you have to think about the cave in order to understand um, how things evolved and how we ended up where we are at right now. Mm -hmm. And like one of the core principles is that if you live in a scarcity model, Mm -hmm. which women have lived for the vast majority of history, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Then you become more vicious and protective of whatever it is you can grab right, right. it's and why inequality you, breeds unrest exactly right exactly yeah right. not just for women for everyone for humans yeah. um and it is yeah and it is um you know it is the power of the patriarchy right mm-hmm. <laughs> like um if you pit and you know fascists and like if you pit people against each other you're more likely to rule them for longer. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's uh um so women for the for the vast majority of history, um, you know, didn't have any rights, didn't have any way to protect themselves or to support themselves. Mm-hmm. Um so the only way to survive really um would be to have a man right. that would support you. Because if you think about it, um until fairly recently, actually, um, women would like it when you're pregnant and when you're nursing, you're you're much more vulnerable, obviously. And when you're, you know, raising children, mm-hmm. it's like it's very hard to, you know, uh, hunt for, you know, kill the lion when you have a toddler. I hear you, sister. <laughs> so when you're, oh, when I've you're been killing lions with toddlers my entire life, <laughs> my entire adult life. <laughs> same same so yeah yeah. um so that competition for you know finding the alpha male and and protecting and you know protecting your rights um breeds competition and it's it's really is a scarcity model so 
we are not in a scarcity model anymore. Mm. At least not in the Western world. At right. least for the most part. <laughs> it's like, um, Why are we still acting like it then? <laughs> exactly. We are still acting. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, uh, it's very, very difficult to get yeah. that mindset um, mm. out of our minds. <laughs> so, right. um, so the question, yeah, like I think a lot of um, education needs to happen and and it's 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 kind of not happening because if you look at a lot of tv shows and um you know just i guess can we say tv shows anymore i think shows Mm. (laughs) or um or books will (laughs) still still show because it's interesting to see to see that rivalry right Mm. it's interesting to see women fighting with each other it's like gets you know the ratings up so a lot of the content that girls are consuming these days are still, a lot of it isn't like a lot of it shows, um, you know, girl empowerment and all the things, but you can still see, um, you know, girls fighting with each other or girls competing with each other. Um, and it sinks in at some point. Right. Mm. And also, you know, mothers perpetuate, um, these behaviors like, Oh, you're, you're so much prettier than her or, you know, Mm. yeah. Um, I didn't mean to, it's like it's so, but you do. Yeah. You say things like that. Yeah. We'll comment on yeah. like the way someone looks first, right? Mm. It's there's mm. this beautiful, beautiful quote by Rupi, Rupi, sorry, Rupi Carr. Um, I'm gonna read it in a second, but yeah, you, it's like we we naturally comment on these things because of our conditioning mm. and because of yeah, the absolutely. scarcity mindset. Yes, it's a big topic, and I think, yeah, I think it's it's harder. It's hard for us as parents to get that mindset like to i think we're kind of like the first or maybe the second generation to even think about those things yeah you know you can't control every word and everything that you do and it's very very difficult to we're all learning to change that yeah i just Um, want to read it really quickly to reinforce what you've said um I want to apologize to all the women I have called beautiful before I've called them intelligent or brave. I'm sorry I made it sound as though something as simple as what you're born with is all that you have to be proud of. When you have broken mountains with your wit, from now on I will say things like you are resilient, you are extraordinary, not because I don't think you're beautiful, but because I need you to know you are more than that. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. It's so good. But it does. It's like beauty is like this scarcity mindset because beauty is beauty itself is the purpose was to attract Mm. a quality male. Right. Mm. So it's like it's like Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with wanting to be beautiful. There's nothing wrong with, you know, celebrating your beauty and, and, you know, for your Mm. own um, enjoyment or whatever. But it's like we're so much more than that. Mm. And it comes back to like coming back together, supporting each other, lifting each other up, which is what you're doing mm. for women at a very young yes. age. I love that. I want that quote. I'm going to email <laughs> you for do you, yeah. do you follow Rupi Kaur? She's no, so, okay, I'm going to, I'll send you that link. Everybody that yeah. listens to this podcast, you should be following Rupi Kaur. Mm. <laughs> it's a beautiful, I will, beautiful, sure. beautiful work. So now, yeah. if someone wants to download Girl Intelligence and is, well, firstly, mm-hmm. if someone is aged 13 to 25, because that's the age range that you have designed this for, where can they find mm-hmm. you or where can someone find this that they can recommend this to their daughter or niece or younger sister? Yeah. So we are, um, our website is girtelligence.com. You can find all the links there. 
Um, you can also follow us on Instagram, which is at girltelligence. It's very easy. Um, so it's girl intelligence, not girl intelligence, mm-hmm. girl intelligence, mm-hmm. one word. And uh, you can get all the information there. So we are 13 to 25. Um, I do plan to grow with my audience. I'm not going to kick anyone out. <laughs> so yeah. you don't, you know, I don't think, you know, we don't want people to age out. Um, I think uh, uh, women empowerment is a lifetime thing. Mm. Uh, but right now we're definitely focusing on the on where it all starts. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. We well, we love yeah. this. This is ins- I'm so happy to meet you, and this is mm. insanely inspiring. Thank you. Um, wow! Thank you for doing this. Thank, thank you, you for putting this out in the world. Mm. Yeah, love it. As someone who's about to have their first daughter, <laughs> well, thank you. Congratulations, girl yes. intelligence power user. <laughs> thank you. She will be a power user as soon as she can type. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> thank you, Nama. That's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Oh, so it was our pleasure. Yeah. Chat soon. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by invoice to go We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap because the current US gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%. Listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.